0: Two weeks ago, on um, I went out to Toronto for uh, basically for the day for a, some board meetings, and um, it just so happened to be the Partners in Harvest conference, which is the there's an annual conference, and it started that night, and so uh, it's interesting. So when I when I went out there for the board meeting, we had great meetings. And then that evening was, uh, we had a staff supper, staff dinner. And then right after that evening, the conference started. And somebody said to me, oh, you picked a great night to be here because uh, you're going to love our guest tonight. And so anyway, it's this, uh, this fellow's name's John. I know they've got a lot of Johns in Toronto, don't they? And uh, anyway, um, this, this fellow was, was, let me back up the bus. In Norway, uh, last fall, uh, John Arnett had this Bible with him. And he he came up to me and he said, hey, Trev, he said, smell my Bible. Has anyone ever walked up to you and said, smell my Bible? You know that we are as believers, we're the fragrance, the aroma of Christ, the Bible does say, right? Did you know that the anointing in, in, you read about the anointing that Moses got the revelation of how to make, create the anointing oil? He got that while he was in the glory. And he got all the details of it. So it had a scent to it, a smell to it, you know? I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting. It's happened several times, though. When um, we were in a meeting, the first time I think it happened was maybe back in, like, 1997 or something. And uh, in the church, we were just in worship, and all of a sudden, this fragrance just filled the whole room. And it was a large, large room. It would seat about 2,000 people. And this smell came. And it was, it, was the, it was just the anointing. And that night, I remember, um, whoever was speaking that night... Uh, just got up and said, there's an anointing for healing here. It was like you could physically smell, and many people in the room smelled it. Have you ever smelled that before? Anybody? Some people, yeah? It's really amazing, isn't it? Um, And so John says, we're in Norway, and John said, uh, hey, Trev, smell my Bible. And he opens it up, his Bible, and I just gave it a smell. And when I smelled it, it was like, whoa, the presence of God just came out. I fell back in my chair, and I'm like, whoa. There's, I know the word is good, the word is alive, but there's something unique about this, you know. So then he told this story about this lady in Argentina, this this prayer warrior who's just been she prays and and um, as she was praying, uh, all of a sudden um, oil just started manifesting and and her Bible started producing oil. You've heard me tell the story about the 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 couple of guys, Church of God guys down in the south. You remember that story and they have this Bible and it's, it, just started, it just started producing oil and then they put it in a bigger container, a bigger container. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, don't sell the oil. If somebody wants the oil, give it away freely. Uh, just just let, the, let, the, let the oil, let the anointing do the work. And so these guys are super low key. And I understand in ministry circles, because I've talked to some people and they told me horror stories about, you know, people who sell oil and do all this and it just puts a whole new... Um, a whole new meaning to the whole, what do they call snake oil salesman or whatever, you know what I mean? And so sometimes when these things, these signs that, and, that make you wonder, sometimes when you see them or hear them about them, you're kind of like a little bit skeptical. Okay, let me rephrase that. Sometimes when I hear or see them, I'm a little bit skeptical. <laughs> and so anyway, so then the story went on. I heard about this lady in Argentina, which was legit, and um, so... What had happened, This the, the background of that was this happened with her. She went to this Pastor John uh, Pina. He's from, he actually grew up in um, South America. Where was it? No, uh, not Paraguay. Paraguay is always on my mind because we've got so many people that are in connection to Paraguay. Peru, I think it was. Anyway, and so she stayed in his, in his house, came up. He, they're based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, stayed in his house. And uh, after she stayed there, he went into his office and his Bible one of his bibles that was on the shelf in his office uh there was just oil coming out of the bible okay so it's very unique you know like signs that make you wonder right and so anyway um so he has this bible and so he was speaking that night i watched this little video in the hotel room before i went to the meeting and it's he just says hey i'm glad to come to toronto it's going to be fun um i want to i'm going to bring my bible and i thought great (laughs) <laughs> I'll bring mine. Mine's on my phone. I mean, I have this one too, but, I, but I'll bring mine on my phone too, right? And so anyway, and then he goes, and then he stops. He says, I have a very unique Bible. You'll like it. That's what he said. That, that's what his little teaser was. You know, I had no idea. So anyway, he gets up, and he starts speaking, and he, and he says, bring me my Bible. And this guy brings his Bible. And see how my Bible has kind of got a bit of a shine to it, like it's just the way the finish on it. it, it his was a matte finish, okay? So it's just like plain you know, flat-looking color. He gets up, and he says, um, he, then he shared the story that I just shared you with about the lady from Argentina, yada, 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 and he gets up, and he starts to preach, and as he starts to preach, and he'll break out into worship and whatnot as he's preaching, um, his Bible went from this matte finish, as it's just sitting there, went from this matte finish to this glossy, oily-looking Bible. And uh, and so then he goes, yeah, it's time. He says, I, I don't always do this, but he said, when I when I sense Holy Spirit's presence really strong, and my Bible starts producing oil like this, um, I just like to anoint people with oil. So for whatever your need is, whatever your, you know, whatever, let's just anoint people with oil. He shared a couple of testimonies of how this, um, they, you know prayed over people and anointed with oil. What is it about the oil? What is it about the Bible? I don't know, but I'm like, hey, I, if this is legit. I can see it happening before my eyes. I'm like, I'm in. I want to get anointed with oil. So uh, at the end of his session, there weren't a lot of people there. Maybe 200 people responded to the, to the call. I'm up at the front and uh, I'm watching. I'm not really, you know how normally you engage. You're like, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life. Well, I'm just like watching like this. I'm watching to see this happen. And what he does is he <laughs> takes this Bible and he squeezes it. And as he squeezes it, it just drips out oil over people. It's just pretty, and, and if you think about it, the amount of oil it would take to, um, like you'll, he'll go for a while, be squeezing it like this, and then it kind of, it drips less and less, a little bit less and less, right? So he'll, he'll say, well, let's just worship. He sets it down there. No one touches it. No one does anything. Comes back to it, picks it up, and now it's like, just like. (laughs) So anyway, he gets, he, uh, uh, he, get, he he's doing this, and I'm up there, and so he gets to me. And I felt in my heart that I'm like, Lord, I'm just super hungry. By the way, oil is produced through pressure and pressing. So anytime you're in a season of life where you sense an, ex, an, ex, an extensive pressing, allow the Lord to produce fresh oil in your life. Right? Wine is also, new wine is also produced through pressure and press, Pressing. Uh, I shared this story about the the the, the oil press and um, the 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 oil press and how uh, Jesus went through the most intense pressing that ever in his life, in Gethsemane, and he actually sweat drops of blood. And the name Gethsemane means the place of the oil press. Little things that are just like, oh, come on! I think God knows what He's doing, you know. So. When I when I started to discover that, I realized that when I go through difficulty and a lot of pressing, and there's been a lot of pressing in the last while, I know many people, but not to not allow the Lord don't and and had, I, I really believe that how you respond to the pressing will determine what kind of oil or wine flows out of your life, right? And so anyway, so um, so I'm up there like this, and and I'm standing there, I'm like, Lord, f- something fresh, fresh oil, whatever, just receive everything you've got for me. And so he gets to me, and um, I had this thought, if this oil drips on me, it'll probably wreck my shirt too. (laughs) And then I thought, I don't care. If I get oil on my shirt, I'm not going to wash that shirt again. So he takes his he first of all took the Bible, he dripped it out over my head, and it was he, instantly you could, as soon as he walked by, you could smell it, and then he drips it on my head and then he and then he uh, he just took his hands and and then that was the last thing I remember and I went down they didn 't have any catchers, it was a very violent move of God that night. No catchers, and I flew back and i 'm on the floor and I was like I was like in a real sense it was it was a unique experience um, I actually really don't know how to describe it other than it was just a beautiful swirl, and I'm laying on the floor. I'm like, oh, yeah, Lord. And the next thing I you know, he jumps off the stage, and he's straddling me, and he takes the Bible, and he shoves. He says, do you want it? And I said, yes. And he goes, promise me you'll never wash your shirt again. <laughs> I said, I already did in my head. I know it. And he takes the thing, and he shoves it, and he goes like this, and he's just all over my, and I'm just like, whoa. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but why, why do I need to understand it? I'm just by faith going to receive, you know? And so, anyway, um, so that happened. That was just a couple weeks ago. And then, um, and then that night, later that night, then we had an opportunity. A few of us went out. We had we had dinner together, and so we had a great conversation about this, all this stuff. And it's just really amazing. I just think that the Lord is doing many things in the earth today that will really cause people to wonder. Yeah. Signs and wonders. In fact, they're going to increase in the last days. Scripture teaches us this, right? And so this morning, I got up, and I put this shirt on. It hasn't been washed since I wore it that night. So I put it on, and I got here, and, and Sarah comes up to me. She goes, are you wearing essential oils? I'm like, no, this is the shirt. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I purposely haven't sprayed any cologne on it or anything. So anyway, I thought I'd be like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear this shirt and just see what happens today, whatever the Lord wants, you know? Yeah. So if you see me, when you see me wearing it again, if I wear it again, you'll know. It's, it's, it's all right. So anyway, uh, Mm. Uh, so that was, that was on a, I don't know what day that was. That was on a Tuesday? That was on a Tuesday, got back Wednesday, then Thursday morning at 4 in the morning, uh, 4.30 in the morning, I got up with the kids. We went to, um, uh, it was actually, uh, maybe some of you heard of it. It was a real special ministry for me, but out in Alberta, I think called YC, um, Youth Convention YC. For 25 years it went on. Um, the fellow that put it on, puts it on, is a friend of mine, uh, actually was preaching in 1989 at a camp in northern Saskatchewan that I responded to the call into full-time ministry. He was the guy preaching at it, so yeah, so he, so, and it was their last year of that. He's now a senior pastor in a church in Edmonton, and it was their last year for that YC. In its peak, they had 18,000 kids showing up jamming the arena and you know, Berta there in Edmonton, and so it was the last one, and so uh, the kids went to it, Carter and Sarah went to it, and just had a good weekend and stuff, so anyway, yeah, (laughs) yeah, so it's been a good, it's been a a good, good, good season, yeah, (laughs) fresh oil, fresh oil, fresh oil, (laughs) oh, we want fresh oil, Lord, yes, we do, yeah, We believe there's a purpose, though. So, Lord, I pray that even prophetically we would hear your word today. Yeah, make it alive in us today, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Uh Uh-huh. Take your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5, please. Uh, Let's read it. Um, I'll read it from the NASB. Okay. Let's pick it up and we'll, we'll go from verse number, we'll start in verse number one. Okay, here we go. So now it happened on the day, uh, uh, now it happened while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake, the Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets, and he gone into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put it out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Verse 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, put, put, uh, put out into the deep water, somebody say deep water, deep water, and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say, let down the nets. And when they had done this, they had enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Somebody say break. Okay. In fact, it was so much that they had to call friends, their friends or the partners in the other boat, to come and help them. So they came and filled both of the boats, and they began to sink. Somebody say sink. But when Simon Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement has seized me. Uh, had see, had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which was taken. And also there was Jane, James and John son of Zebedee who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon don't fear from now on you'll be catching men. And when they brought the boats in to land they left everything and followed him. Okay. So there's a story that that happens here. Well let's now let's go to another story, similar story but something different. Between Luke chapter 5 they experienced something very supernatural, and it was it was contrary to what they thought should happen. But because the Lord told them to do it, they did it, and then they got the result they were looking for before. In the natural, actually, it was beyond their natural what they would expect, because now the nets. These are fishermen. They know what they're doing. They mend nets. They they they, they look after their nets. They know boats. They're right. They, Yeah, small tidbit of information that's kind of cool. Have you ever studied Jesus' life, his silent 30 years? Because there's not a lot of talk about it. But if you look historically at Jesus' life, 30 years, he actually, he, he was a carpenter. Isn't this wild? He was a carpenter. So he was in business And so as he was a carpenter following in his earthly father's footsteps, it wasn't just that people, historians have discovered this, but it wasn't that he would just build like little things here and there or build a house or this or that. Uh, Some scholars say that he probably built plows as well. He probably built yoke for oxen. He probably built doors. He probably built, he might even have built boats. In fact, some say that uh, Simon Peter's boat might have been one that Jesus built. And then he comes on the scene, and he starts teaching, and he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. He starts talking about this. like he's, So he's become a master craftsman through the rhythms of life of 30 years of silence, 30 years of preparation, routine, structure in his life. He, he gets to the point where he's, whew, Just take it. He gets to the point where um, he knows something's shifting in his life, but he's still quite young, and he's always about his father's business. His father was a carpenter. Then when he gets lost in the temple when he's 12, he said, I'm about my father's business Now, I believe Joseph probably knew what he was talking about. He knew that something was shifting here, even though he was only 12 and he was saying this. But there was this parallel stream in Jesus' life about routine and rhythm and structure that he went through that prepared him for everything that God had for him, his heavenly father had for him later. So then he gets talking about things like doors. I am the door. I am the way. All these kind of things. The plow. Putting your hand to the plow. No one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is even fit for the kingdom he says right and so there's all these all these metaphors and all this language and imagery so at this point in time now Jesus has stepped on the scene in Luke chapter 5 and he's speaking about something and he's like he knows boats too in fact it's funny cuz the the village that he was part of maybe 300 people everyone would have known him the neat thing about it too is this that as a as a as a rabbi the rabbi, he's training to be a rabbi. And as a rabbi, they need to have the financial wherewithal to support themselves plus the people that follow them. So, so he's, so he's this, now he's transitioning. He's transitioning out of 30 years of preparation. See, some people think that structure and ritual uh, are, are a negative thing. And so, even I've even talked to some people, and they're like, "Well, I'm not really into reading my Bible because I'm not bound in religion." Well, I want to tell you something. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good uh, uh, ritual to be involved in is reading your Bible every day. That's a very good ritual. You know why? Because you're not going to get bound by legalism. You're going to get bound by the Word. So, even even that the whole thing. Sometimes you know rituals or. I mean, look at the word spiritual. <laughs> There's ritual and spiritual. Anyway, all right. So, but the thing is, he had this lifestyle of, of rhythm and structure and form, and he was going through this process that was preparing him for his ministry and his calling and purpose. And it's interesting how he had 30 years of preparation and three years of ministry. And nowadays, we do like three or four years of preparation. And then, this <laughs> is kind of funny. So I'm just here to encourage you. Enjoy the preparation. What you're going through right now is preparing you for what God wants to bring you into. How you handle your preparation will greatly determine what you step into regarding destiny and purpose and, and authority in the arena that God's calling you. Hmm, he's preparing me. All right. So in Luke chapter 5, pre resurrection, Jesus tells them to do something. They do it, the nets are breaking, and the boats are sinking. Now, when you read a story similar to that in in John 21, now this is, go there with me, John 21, this now is post-resurrection Jesus. This now is Jesus now uh, raised from the dead. And here's the story here. Now, something happened in the lives and the minds of the disciples, the fishermen, between Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 21. See, it's important. There's no such thing as a... Well, how can I word that? You need to understand that obstacles and pressures and failures in your life, it's only a failure if you let it be a failure. What do you mean by that? It's only a failure if you don't learn something from it. If you go through something... And it's just like you just get bitter and upset and angry and this and that, and you're cursing people around you and your unforgiveness in your heart and it can cripple you. But if you can say, listen, this really sucked, but Lord, what can I learn from this? It could be as simple as learning a wisdom thing. Well, don't do that again. <laughs> right? So you can you can you can fail forward, you can fail up, you know, like you can. You can fall up kind of thing instead of fall back, right? And so anyway, so somewhere along the line between Luke chapter 5 and, Luke, and John chapter 21, the, the disciples experienced something, and they got wise about something. And then let's read together, John 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself this way, Simon Peter and Thomas... And Nathanael came out of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, "I'm going fishing." And they said to him, "Well, we're going to come with you." So they went out and they got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, "Children, do you have any fish? Uh, or uh, ch- ch- children, uh, you do ha- you do not have any fish, do you?" And like some. Was he just rubbing it in or what, you know? <laughs> you don't have any fish, you know? I don't know. What was his tone? That's the thing about written stuff, you know? Like you, sometimes I read it and I put my own little thing on it, intonation and stuff. It's like, you don't have any fish. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast and they were not able to haul it in because it was such a great number of fish. Therefore, in some some just a, one little blurb here, some 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 translations say net, some say nets. If you look at in the language, original language, you, you can find there both ways. I've preached before too, where he says, cast your nets on the other side, and and, and they cast their net. But anyway, whatever, that's another side note. Regardless of that. It says, therefore, uh, oh, this is good. They caught such a great catch, a great number of fish. Verse 7, therefore, that disciple, the one who's writing this, by the way, um, whom Jesus loved. <laughs> the guy writing is like, you know, the, that, that disciple, that guy, no, that, yeah, that guy, th- this guy th- that Jesus loved. <laughs> Don't you find that funny? Yeah. I just think it's, I think it's super funny. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said, "Peter, uh, it is the Lord." So when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put uh, put um, uh, his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, for uh, they were not that far from land. About but about one hundred yards away, dropping the net or sorry, dragging the net full. Somebody say full full of fish verse 9 so when they got out on land they saw the charcoal fire already laid and, placed, and fish placed on it and bread verse 10 Jesus said to them bring some fish which you have now caught Simon Peter went up and drew the net land, uh, the net to land full of large fish 153 although there were so many fish the net was not torn isn't interesting Luke chapter 5, the boats are sinking, the nets are breaking. John chapter 21, the boats aren't sinking and the nets aren't tearing. So I think we need to ask this ourselves a question, why, why was that the case? Because somewhere along the line, they learn from their experience to trust the Lord, but not only trust the Lord, I'm going to prepare now. Now that I've experienced something from the Lord here, I'm going to prepare now for what He could do in my life down the road, so that I'm ready. Just nudge your neighbor and say you need a bigger boat. You need a bigger boat. Tell your other neighbor you need a stronger net. I think in this in this text, I, I you can take it or leave it, but I think that the that the the boats represent structure, and the nets often you'll see nets. Speaking of, of relationships, you know the knots and the nets, like the, the 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 binding together and that sort of thing. So the boats speak of structure, and the nets speak of relationship. So there's a lot of there's a lot of words out there right now. It's funny. I asked this question. Uh, I don't want to say, well. It's going to go out publicly, so I won't talk about that. But anyway, I'm, I'm blown away at how many people have never heard about the Billion Soul Harvest Prophecy. How many have not heard the Billion Soul Harvest Prophecy? Thank you, Jesus. How many? Okay, that's good. Only two. That's whatever. How many have heard about the Billion Soul Harvest Prophecy? Okay, let's just, I'll recap it really quickly. It was 1983, I believe. I do have the date here. Um uh, Yeah, it was. It was 1983. And uh, Bob Jones, the prophet, prophesied. He said, there are three things that are going to happen. He said, uh, this is 1983 now. Okay, 1980. Touch your name and say 1983. 1983. 83. So that was a long time ago. 1983, he prophesied. He said, there's going to be a pill that will be like that uh, a, a woman can take the day after, the morning after that will terminate the pregnancy when she got pregnant the night before. And at that time, the morning after pill was not in existence, 1983. He also said um, that um, there would be, uh, he saw in, on the rice paddies of China, he saw people listening to music and watching on their watches. Yeah. And so he, so he prophesied of the, I, the, I, the uh, Apple Watch or whatever they call Apple Watch um, in 1983. And that came out in like 2015 or whatever, right? Was it 2015 or 14? Yeah, it would have been. Anyway, you, you, had, you get that. You can go ask Siri later. But so he prophesied that, and the third thing was this: that um, uh, America would legalize same-sex marriage. Okay, so that was in 1983. So to me, when when these things happen, it's it's not that we rejoice, you know, like legalizing same-sex marriage, all that kind of stuff that kind of thing. That's not, to me, that's not the issue. The issue is there's a timeline and the Lord is doing things and... Or allowing things to happen just to point to something that, and then he prophesied this, he prophesied about the billion soul harvest. He prophesied that there would be a billion souls that would be swept into the kingdom in a short period of time. And at that time, then it would, it would usher in the second coming of the Lord. I personally believe that it could be, it's going to be a lot more than a billion, but that was, that's the the phrase that got coined and put around all over the place. Now, if we have 7.3, 7.4 billion, have you ever watched the world clock? you ever watch that, the population clock? It's super fun. You watch it, and it's like, it's pretty amazing to watch. But anyway, uh, the the, the population is increasing. So if you think of it, let's just round it down to 7 billion right now. At 7 billion, if there's a billion soul harvest, that means one in seven people are going to be born again. So just think about it, one in seven in Winnipeg area right now. Let's say we'll round it up with all the kind of surrounding areas, 800,000 people. So one in seven. How many would that be? 120,000. Think about that. 120,000 people all of a sudden, here we are, we're in the kingdom, born again. It would be like, I think at that point in time we'd be like, hey, you know what? Our church is so full, our boat is so full here right now, let's get our friends down the street. Hey, you guys, do you have any more room? Help us out here with this harvest. That's such a paradigm shift from from. From people thinking, well, these are our people, you need to, you know, you understand? Now, having said that, I was encouraged on Thursday because uh, we were talking about the hands. And uh, Lisa came to me after and she said, hey, thanks for sharing what you shared tonight. And basically what I said was this, um, if you're part of, and I use Catch the Fire Winnipeg, because obviously it's the bulk of the people were there, I said, put your hand to the plow like absolutely just jump right in get involved with your hands get involved financially get involved volunteering like get involved like jump in like <laughs> full body. yeah it's a full body experience yeah totally and and so so with that with that though when you think about it like this when we talk about nets and boats we know that we're talking about structures and relationships so if I'm engaged in a body of people, like a body where we're engaged and we're in relationship and we're walking together and we're like, okay, we're believing for a harvest. I'm believing that we're going to see a lot of people getting saved and I'm included in that. And so I want to have, we want to have a structure that can contain what God wants to do, but we also have to have relationships and teams and connection with people to be able to haul it in. I can't be on the north end of Winnipeg on Tuesday night to, to uh, disciple somebody. Uh, hey, Pat and Frank live out, uh, you know, near there. Hey, listen, we, this thing came up. Out of relationship. Hey, could you help out here on this? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? There's something happening over here. Somebody needs this or there's, a, there's, a, there's an opportunity here or there, or whatever. If we've got relationships and connectedness with people, Networks and, and even beyond that, Chris and I talked this week. He wants to, wants, he'd like to um, engage in some small group ministry in the future. You'll probably hear about that at some time. Creating uh, little hubs, little, little um, um, groups of people all over the place. I know we have war rooms, but I'm talking about getting more strategic about building the net. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So something happened between Luke chapter 5 and John 21 where they got things sorted out in their heads and they said, we need to prepare now. And so they started doing things. And so in Luke 5, the nets are breaking. and John 21, the nets did not break. So if we believe that the Lord has things coming for us, what are we doing now to prepare? Personally, but also corporately. Um, just some interesting thoughts here. Harvest is a consequence. Harvest is a consequence. So the harvest is a consequence of seed sown, okay? We just kind of came out of seeding time here in, 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 uh, in Manitoba. And um, seed, there's seed time and harvest. There's seed, there's time, and there's harvest. There's also seed time and harvest time, but I like that. Seed, time, and harvest, And so you've got this seed sown. I don't know any farmers that would sow a seed in the ground and plant a crop um, not expecting a consequence. Hey, Rick. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, So here's the deal. And that's why I prayed the way I prayed this morning when I was talking about receiving the offering and praying in finances and stuff. Um, so many times in our Christian walk, we don't do things like Jesus had this rhythm and structure in his life, but so many times we think that as spiritual people, it's just kind of a free, you know what I'm saying? Now, we want to be free for sure, but there's, a, there's something to it that when I, when, I, when I give that hug to somebody or give that encouraging word to someone I'm, I, I don't know, you know, God drops a thought and I share it with him, encourage that person. I'm expecting that seed to produce a harvest. Whether I'm the one that gets to harvest that or not, I'm expecting that to produce a harvest. And so harvest is a consequence. It's a con- consequence of sowing seed. And uh, I just want to say that as it is seed time in, 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 uh, in the natural, I believe now would be a good time to really sow some seed in loving people and sharing faith with people and encouraging people and inviting people to church and going out and mowing someone's grass for them and, you know, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, but sow those actions, sow that love, sow that seed. I think that's really cool. I also think, like it says in Amos, how that the plowman shall overtake the reaper um, and he who sows the one who harvests, like it's a prophecy about this, perpetual harvest where it's like seeds will go on the ground and then boom all of a sudden there's harvest springs up and then more seed more harvest more seed and I believe that kind of fits with this whole word about the billion soil harvest prophecy but harvest is a consequence um harvest is a process It, it takes time and then the third one is harvest is a season the seed you sow is not the not the same gain you reap People don't reap the full potential of their harvest because they don't understand that harvest is a process. The barn capacity for seed is smaller than the barn capacity for the grain, for the harvest. Or you might, yeah. So because your harvest is a process, you must do all that you can to increase the capacity of your life to reap a harvest. See, it's, so, so the, the, the boys figured it out. Boats are too small, nets are too weak. What are we going to do? We're gonna get bigger boats and stronger nets. Your mindset, oh, this is really good. This is, I just hit this, hit me, I was like, wow, that's really cool, I gotta share that. (laughs) Your mindset and the thoughts of your hearts are the dimensions of your barn. This is just pure scripture. Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all, keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And that word issues there means dimensions. We've been talking about the heart healing. Small wonder, this pops out like this at this time. We've been talking about the heart, the hands, and the feet. So we talked about the heart and getting our heart sorted out and things like that. Along that line of having our hearts healed, you need to understand that in your heart, it, that's why it's so beautiful. Because when your heart gets healed up to a measure and you begin to experience more of that, less orphan, more son, more daughter, more son. I got more son yesterday. <laughs> I was like outside all day. But you're more acting like a son, S-O-N, or a daughter. All of a sudden, your expectancy increases. And you actually start saying, because I'm a son, I have an inheritance wow, i can i can pull on future and bring it into present cuz i'm a son it's a faith thing by the way the kingdom of heaven is like bursting it's like it's like doing this over the earth i really feel the season that we're in the, and what we're talking about here regarding harvest and stuff it's like that it's just like pressing in like this why do you think well because we prayed for 2000 years let your kingdom come <laughs> let your kingdom come let your kingdom come and so so i are you ready? Am I ready for the fullness of a greater release of what God wants for us and has for us? So, just a couple of other things. Um, hmm. Isaiah 54, 2-3, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, for it will soon be bursting at the seams. See, when it comes time to reap, it's too late to build extensions or build on. When you understand harvest is a process, you'll use your time wisely to read, study, learn God's word to enlarge your capacity to receive the harvest. Um, this is kind of cool. Sometimes because of weather conditions, the harvesting season is moved forward. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the story. I, I, I share stories sometimes, just testimonies of, of things that have happened in our lives. I had this story where... Um, you you heard me talk about it. There's two words for time in the Greek language. Uh, there's Kairos and there's Chronos. And so most people we you know have a watch. Or it's chronological. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's chronological time. That's where we get that from. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, that kind of thing. Then there's Kairos, which is it's the due season. You know where it says, "Do not grow weary in well doing," Galatians. For in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you faint not. If you faint not. The word due season, the the, the time, that that speaks of the kairos time. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when when I read something, a fact like that, sometimes the change in the weather condition, uh, the harvest season is moved forward. I believe that you have the ability over your life, I do over my life, that we're not dictated by just everything we see on the earth today. I think we've learned that over a period of time. And I believe that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I want you to speed up what you need to speed up in my life, but I'm going to prepare for it so that I can be part of it when it happens, right? And so um, so I was in Prague, and this is several years ago, In this building that we were in, it was actually the first conference we did with John Arnett, so it would have been 2009. And this building we were in, this is a great hall that we rented, and it had two clock towers right in front of it. You usually see one clock tower, but it's two clock towers. And the one clock tower was 15 minutes behind the other clock tower. So it was really weird. It kind of bugged me. I don't know why. We walk. I'd walk up there. Every session, I'd walk up, and I'd see the clock. and I So I took note of it. It's like 15 minutes, you know. And um, anyway, so... I'm walking up, and I was going up to do my session. I had a, I had a, um, was it a 3 o'clock or 3.15 session in the afternoon? And I'm walking up, and as I look up at the clocks before I go into the building, the clocks are exact, both of them are exactly at 3 o'clock. And I got hit. I'm like, boom. And I'm like, at that moment in time, I'm like, okay, hey, I know something is happening right now that God wants to speak something to me. And immediately, he just spoke this to me. He said, Trev, he said, two kinds of time, kairos and kronos. Mine is like the appointed time, the due season, the kairos time, the now time, where it's like, boom, that opportunity, that moment of time, like, boom, right now. Then there's chronological time. I'm like, okay, I got that. And he said, my time is in your hands. So I went in, I go into the meeting, and I I was just really, really rocked by it. I'm like, whoa, that's so wild. My time is. So in other words, he was saying this very thing like this, like sometimes the seasons and weather, or the weather conditions can speed up what in the natural should be happening. You see what I'm saying? And so he's saying, he said that. So so then I got up there, and I'm like, I was just rattled by this, and it was really, really a good rattle. And I shared the story. I just said, I believe God's inviting us onto his timetable. Where things that you've been waiting for for months can happen in a moment where what should take three months can happen right now what what you know that whole story like that and so I said if you're if you're believing for something or you you feel oil on this, just stand to your feet I want to pray for you so we, people stood up, not a ton of people stood up, but some people <laughs> so, so people stood up and uh and uh just, it's okay. Go with this, yeah, yeah. Okay, come on. So, so, uh, if you're believing for that that there's a there, there's a shift that you want to see happen, where you can step into the Kairos, the now time of God, the season of God, what what He has right now, what not put off to the future, not da da da. And so I just invited people to stand, and so they stood, and I just shared that, and I just prayed over people, and the power of God hit them, and they fell on the floor. For these faithful, Father, yeah, thank you that we can, we can, we're not ruled by time, chronological time. Thank you, Lord, that you set the sun, the moon, and the stars as powers to govern the day, the night, season and yet you've given us authority over all powers. So even though we're there's clocks and there's watches and timelines, I speak your due season over these right now in Jesus name. I just speak your due season. What should take months would just happen, boom. What they've been believing for, Lord, in Jesus name. Boom. That it would just, it would be due season, now time. Kairos, now time in Jesus' name. Now time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, mm-hmm. so what are we doing for time here? <laughs> it's in my hands, okay. So, there's also the prophecy, though, that, of, of, that kind of parallels with the... Um, you know, the Billion Soul Harvest, which was Tommy Hicks' End Time Vision Harvest, right? What the giant and whatnot happened in 61 while he was in Winnipeg, Canada, which is kind of cool. You can read it on your own. You should look it up and read it. It would be good. But um, another thing I want to share is this, regarding this, preparing for what's coming. It's interesting how God often would prepare in the natural something for what he wanted to do in the spiritual. I'll give you an example. The revelation of justification by faith, through, uh, by grace through faith that Martin Luther got. He, he, he got this revolution, this revelation that would transform the world, right? Uh, it was like, so, so, but he needed, God saw fit. So that was, that was like the spirit part of it because sometimes people feel that, yeah, okay, I'll get to that. That was the Holy Spirit part of it, the revelation part of it. But in the natural, the boat or the container to, to the structure that would help use, that would take that revelation and, and, and propel it for a harvest of catch, was uh, Gutenberg. At the same time Martin Luther got the revelation of faith, justification of uh, grace through faith, at the same time, this other guy got this revelation of a printing press. So that the revelation that he came, that printed, could print the Bibles that we would read with this message of hope and salvation. Where you're not waiting on a priest to tell you about something, speaking in Latin, that kind of thing. It was like now they have access to it. So just like that, back up the bus even, Jesus, in Jesus' time, in Jesus' day, the Roman road was there. There were highways and, and, and byways that were built because of the Roman Empire that could easily give Jesus access to go places, though he didn't travel a lot more than 100 miles. But do you understand what I'm saying? So there the Roman road was there in Jesus' day. The printing press was there in Luther's day. In 1994, when God poured out on, on, um, in Toronto, in 1994 there was no way to get the word out about what God was doing other than phone calls and fax machines. And it was funny because John was just telling me about this a while ago. They, they would take handprints. They would put the hand on a piece of paper and trace the outline of the hand. Somebody would have a he- need healing or breakthrough. They'd, they'd fax them the handprint and say, here, put this hand on them. And miracles took place through fax machines. Okay. But guess what happened that was fu- th- so that happened that the, the revival broke out in january on january nineteen ninety four. guess what happened then suddenly in 1994, bursting on the scene is this thing called the internet the world wide web where suddenly now you can have a message go around the world although they didn't have the streaming they do now so so that took place the, there was there was that how about the how about in the seventies with the um, the Jesus People Movement. It's amazing how what happened was when God began to just touch people and just thousands and thousands, and it was on Time Magazine, cover of Time Magazine, thousands and thousands of young people that were hippies in the free love, free culture, you know. In that culture, but that, that, the, the message of the gospel spread like wildfire through that culture. Because everyone, it was like people weren't so much living in their little boxes anymore. It was like, hey, I love you, man. I love you, man. It was this free love culture. Now, we know that it went crazy in on one end, in one way. But on the other hand, because of that very culture that was in the earth, it was able to go right through. And you see thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people get saved. I think it's interesting. I was in San Diego a few years ago now. And I gave this guy a word of prophecy. I called him up, and and I'll say it like this, because this is how he told it to me, but I I prophesied of a coming move of God that wasn't, because it was called the Jesus People Movement. That's what they called it, the Jesus People Movement. And uh, I felt the Lord say, "This what I'm going to do is is a Jesus Movement through people. And I know that some of you, you T-Dog, whatever, some people call it the Jesus Movement, some people call it the Jesus People, well, anyway... And uh, there was this young man there, and I said, um, young man, I said, uh, just like uh, Marilyn Manson was a leader in his day. Marilyn Manson? Sorry, Charlie Manson. (laughs) Charles Manson. Uh, Just like Charles Manson was a leader in his day, and he got people to go negative down this road that was like, you know, Helter Skelter, you know, the, you know, Charles Manson, his whole thing. He was able to lead people in such a crazy, crazy way. But it was like they were just all in, like that. I said, God is going to anoint you to lead people to Jesus and lead them in great exploits for their God. But it's the and I, I was like, I asked, actually got them to shut the cameras off. I said, Can you shut the cameras off? Because I don't want this going all that little snippet. You're gonna be like a Charles Manson, you know, like, really. So anyway, so he stood up, he stood up, and I said, let's just pray for him. So we pray for him. The power of God hits him. He says to me later, he goes, you know, he said, "Um, that's the second time I got that word. What? What? I'm like, maybe you should get that tattoo removed off your forehead. (laughs) No. Yeah. You know, Charles Manson tattoo on his forehead. Okay, all right, never mind. But anyway, uh, God was just pinpointing him and just saying that. But I do believe that, too. I believe there's a move coming. So having said all that, if we believe God is going to move, we need to have structures that can contain what he's doing and nets that can bring in harvest. Uh, But we need to prepare now for what we're believing God will do. Um, I believe there's grace for stuff. One of the things that, that I think is interesting it's probably going to look a lot different than you thought it would look. Um, Jesus, it says in Revelation, though it's not talking about salvation, but it says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who answers, I will come in and dine with them. Jesus is nice, he knocks. I want you to picture Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit dropped on the place. He didn't knock. <laughs> no, seriously. There's no movie in Hollywood that could truly depict what happened on the day of Pentecost. When God just said, "I'm going to blow up that place." It's so true, right? It's like it's like he came and he just blew up the place. Fire, wind. Blah, other places in scripture, the place they were was shaken. Like, come on, like seriously, if it's Bible, it's I want it, you know, so but but my point is this: I think that sometimes the structures, our boats uh can be like our minds, our mindsets, our structures that we have in our minds of how we think God should do things and what we think he should do, and uh you need a bigger boat, just nudge your neighbor and tell him that you need your mind stretched a little bit, you need your you need new new lenses and whatnot, and um uh... So what do I need to do now to prepare for what I believe God has called me to? And you can take this individually, personally, your own life, what you feel in your heart God's called you to do. How are you preparing now for God to do what he wants to do? So it's interesting because in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him, religious leader, comes to Jesus at night and says, you know, what must I do? You know, we know you're from God, all these signs, everything else, but... Um, what do I do to be saved? Like, what, what, how do I tap into this stuff? And Jesus says, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom. And then he says, um, and so he's like, works it out. He's thinking naturally. He needed his boat made a little bigger, you know. And so, you know the story. He says, that which is born of of flesh is flesh. That's what's born of spirit is spirit. And it says, the wind blows where where it wants to, and you never see you know, where it's going or what it's doing, that kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing. And then he says, so are they that are born of the Spirit. Okay. Okay. Now get this. Hang on a second. I, totally. I'm with you on that. I, I just don't want to let you down in what I'm going to say. Sometimes we think that, Sometimes we think that because we're born of the Spirit, I'm not going to plan for that. Because God's gonna, God's gonna make a way. He'll do something. He'll, you know. Well, God, I got faith for it. God's gonna do it. You know, that's great. I'm just, and and the, the deal is, the, in saying that, he wasn't saying that people that are born of the Spirit are just floating all over the place. They're structureless. That's not what he that was saying. He was saying that when you're born of the Spirit, to other people it might look like you're just like the wind, but you exa- You know where you're going. Because. I've, I can see, because he was born from above, can see the kingdom, and it says later, he will enter the kingdom, right? So don't use being spirit-led or spirit people uh, an excuse for not planning and having structure and rhythm and routine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some, so I, this bothers me sometimes when people just say, well, you've got to just have faith for it. Just have faith for it. What did faith look like to Noah. A hundred years of building, preparing, structure, routine. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So faith actually looks like something. I get it. I get it. There are, there are audibles. A lot of times the quarterback will call an audible and say, okay, we're switching. We're doing this now. Look at Abraham and his son Isaac. There was an audible. I'm so glad that, you know, there was a ram in the thicket. But but are you hearing what I'm saying? What I'm trying to get across today is that we need Bigger boats and stronger nets. And we need to we need to say, okay, Lord, your strategy for things, what what does this look like in my life personally? How can I strengthen relationships? How can I build something that can contain what you want to do? What are you calling me to? And start planning things out. Now I'm not talking about sitting down and have a strategic planning meeting. I'm talking about doing things with purpose. If you want to do a strategic planning meeting, go for it. Do it. That's great. But I'm just talking about engaging God with your hands, heart, hands, and feet, with your hands and saying, Lord, I want to build what you've called me to build here. And if it's here at Catch the Fire Winnipeg, then for the sake of the good Lord, just put your hand to the plow and say, let's go for it.